What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Renewable Energy Smart Pod. I'm your host, Sean McMahon. Today's show features a conversation I had with Tristan Grimbert, the president and CEO of EDF Renewables North America. We talk about a lot of topics, including all the big proposals coming out of the Biden administration, the power outage in Texas, and some of the challenges the U.S. solar industry supply chain is facing. Of course, since this is the Renewable Energy Smart Pod, we also had a bit of fun. Tristan is a proud Frenchman, so I couldn't resist asking him a little bit about the life he now leads in San Diego. And that led to some laughs about the serious intrafamily strife that goes on in Tristan's household over what constitutes good Mexican food. Tristan also gives us his take on the sometimes heated rivalry between French wine and California wine, and he even offers up a surprise tip on where you can buy quality French wine for a great price right here in the United States. But before we get to that conversation, the exclusive sponsor of the Renewable Energy Smart Pod is a company you're going to learn a lot more about today, EDF Renewables. EDF Renewables is a leading renewable energy developer in North America with 20 gigawatts of wind, solar, and storage projects of all sizes throughout the United States, Canada, and Mexico. EDF Renewables. Energy your way. Okay, so let's get started. Once again, my guest today is Tristan Grimbert, the president and CEO of EDF Renewables North America. Tristan, how you doing? Very good, thank you. What about you? I'm doing great, doing great. Now, I know we have a lot of ground to cover today because there's been a ton of big news lately related to renewables. But before we get to that, I always like to ask my guests a few non-business questions, you know, just so I can get to know them a little bit. And when I found out I'd be talking to you, Tristan, two questions immediately came to mind. Now, for listeners who might not know, EDF Renewables is headquartered in San Diego. You are a Frenchman who lives in San Diego. I am a native San Diegan who loves spending time in France. So what I want to hear from you as an expert is, what is the San Diego of France? Are we talking Nice? Would it be Antibes? Well, it is hard to compare, but that's a good question. I would say that something that San Diego is unique compared to France is uh, certainly the space that we have with the canyons. And, and I really have been living here for 16 years now and, and really love it. I think maybe the French Riviera is a little bit more, much better food, I would say, <laughs> in general, but uh, it's also a little bit more crowded. So both have their own attractiveness. One thing I would add is that as my wife grew up in Morocco, we compare very often San Diego to Casablanca. You have the desert and the ocean and the sun all the time and the same palm tree. So you can draw from a lot of uh, similarities between the two cities. You mentioned the food might be better in the Riviera. And that leads to my next critical question about San Diego living. If you live there for 16 years, you've got to have a favorite Mexican food place. So what's your go-to spot for, you know, when you have a hankering for a burrito or some tacos? So actually, I do not. My, my kids blame me for that because they love burritos and they argue about the which one is the best burrito place. But I must say that uh, my wife is an excellent cook and she, she cooks French uh, cuisine and Moroccan cuisine and Asian cuisines. So we eat a lot at home here. And I mostly reserve my taste for Mexican food when I'm in Mexico City, which has a very, very uh, refined uh, restaurants industry there. So I love to eat Mexican food there. I got gotcha. you. All right. Well, thanks for indulging me with answering those questions. Let's go ahead and kind of tackle some of the news and information coming out of the renewable sector right now. So I'd like to start off just kind of getting your reaction to some of the proposals coming out of the Biden White House. We've heard a lot of news about offshore wind, 
EV charging stations and things like that. What's your overall reaction to the proposals coming from Biden and his administration? Well, I would say it's enthusiasm. I, I really applaud the new administration for tackling climate change very seriously. I mean, they're really eager to make an impact and maybe catch up the, the lost time over the last four years. So it's really impressive to see the new administration mobilizing around the climate change agenda. I participated this week on a call with the uh, BOEM and the White House and various secretaries to show the alignment of the administration around the offshore goals that they just announced. And that's just remarkable. I'm, I'm thrilled. Yeah, speaking of the offshore goals, the 30 gigawatts by 2030, um, I know Secretary Granholm from the Energy Department has been talking a lot about building out the domestic supply chain here in the U.S. Do you think we'll be able to do that in time to reach that goal of 2030? Yes, I think it's a, it's a very achievable goal. I mean, it's, it's ambitious. If we collectively, the administration and the, the, the various uh, private players, we, uh, we put the right resources in place, I think it's a very achievable goal. Right now, the, uh, the bottleneck is the permitting and, and processing all the studies that have to be done, but that's very feasible. So I'm optimistic and eager to participate with our joint venture, Atlantic Shore. Yeah. Looking at some of the proposals they have, it seems like a lot of them really kind of match up with some of the strengths you have at EDF Renewables. Walk me through kind of what your portfolio is right now, not in terms of projects, but in terms of technologies. So first of all, we cover the whole gamut. We don't manufacture equipment, but whether you talk about EV charging for you know a parking space of 40 EV chargers, a microgrid at a customer site, or you're talking about a very large offshore project like Atlantic Shore, we cover wind, solar, and batteries in all aspects of the, the market. Uh, we don't manufacture equipment. We are here to facilitate the transition to a renewable future, basically in all possible shape and form. I took a look at your website, uh, and you got a great tool there uh, that kind of maps out all your projects. And that website is edf-re.com. And this interactive tool kind of allows you know, users to check out you know, where your projects are located, what kind of project it is, and even kind of takes them into some of the, you know, the photos and, and data on this specific project. And one of the things I noticed that a lot of the stuff coming out in the next couple of years on solar is paired with battery. So, you know, given the growth of hybrid projects, are standalone solar and onshore wind kind of becoming a thing of the past, or is there still room for those kinds of projects? It's clearly, you, we were talking about earlier about the, the, the size of the pie or each slice of the pie, and that's evolving very quickly. If you look backwards, you know, maybe... 80% of our past is wind and 80% of our future is solar and battery. So there is clearly a change in terms of market share of the various technology. But I do believe in a balanced energy mix. It's very important that there is diversity of resources. So I think there is still a lot of room for wind to continue to grow and complement solar. Right now, solar is kind of playing catch up. I think the two technologies will balance out eventually. As far as battery storage, it's very important that it allows more integration of intermittent resources on the grid. So we see more and more of that. Right now, they are a lot associated with existing solar projects because they can benefit from the ITC if they are associated with the solar project. It's maybe about roughly 50% of the solar project have batteries. We also see customers are interested in joint wind and solar project that we rebundle together. But I don't think that's standard project that I think in the past. I just think they're going to be diversity, and it's important for us to offer the whole gamut of solutions to be able to feed the customer need. Now, I know there's been a lot of headlines lately about offshore wind. We talked earlier about the Biden administration's proposal for 30 gigs by 2030, and obviously your firm's heavily involved with the project at Atlantic Shores. But I'd like to pick your brain for a minute about onshore wind. Are there any areas in the U.S. where you see untapped potential for onshore wind? So. 
Yes, and I, I don't think I'm going to talk about that. It's a very competitive market, but those locations are very rare and few and requires a lot of work. And one of the reasons is because I think onshore wind has grown a lot and the easiest location have been tapped, most of them. And now you need to go to the second tier, third tier, and et cetera, whereas solar is more the current wave. So it's easier to do solar right now to find specific location than on, on the wind side. Those wind sites exist. I think what's key is that we're going to need a strong transmission program, I hope through the infrastructure bill, to be able to untap some large areas of wind that are not being tackled today. So talking about New Mexico, talking about Wyoming, and et cetera. And all those areas have a lot to offer from a wind resource point of view, but need to be untapped thanks to new transmission projects. I'd like to kind of transition a little bit to distributed energy. What's it going to take to expand that and make that more commonplace? So I think it's a mix of regulation. So local regulation needs to allow local energy to be valued at the right value delivers to the customer. Also, the desire of the customers for green energy and resiliency is also critical. So it's, it's a very localized market, and you have to explore pockets of market like San Diego is one that's great for us, like Ontario or like New York, where the regulation is such and the appetite of the customer is such that those markets are taking off. What I think is interesting with our approach is that whether you talk about rooftop solar, whether you talk about stationary battery, whether you talk about EV charging, very often we start with one need of the customer and then we add more to the customer requirements. And eventually, more and more often now, we end up building a real microgrid for them to optimize and green as much as possible their electricity consumption. So you talked about addressing the needs of some of your customers, and obviously part of that after a project is, is up and running is the service side and the asset optimization. So how important has that part of the business become for firms like EDF Renewables? So that's actually our foundation. We were founded 35 years ago as an O&M company, Operation and Maintenance. So we, uh, that's what we did initially. And it has always remained core to us, mostly to, as I said to our team, to make our assets sweat. It's very important that we put a lot of investment, hundreds of millions of dollars, billions of dollars into our equipment, and then we need to make sure that they're going to deliver on their promises. So understanding the technology, understanding what is needed for the asset is critical to us. We try to work very closely with the OEMs, the original equipment manufacturers, the Vestas, GE, and, and you know, uh, Canadian Solar or else, to understand that technology well and uh, partner with them so that they can bring us the pieces of technology that we need, the piece of knowledge that we need, so that we can really make the asset as productive and generate as much value as possible. Operating as you own it is really a critical thing for us. There is no one better than the owner to know how to make the asset produce the maximum value. So now I want to pivot a little bit and get your reaction to what's going on in Texas this year. When news of the outages first started hitting, you know, what were your thoughts when everything kind of went sideways in Texas? Well, I must admit that like everybody else, we've been caught by surprise uh, by the extent of, of the crisis, and we did not anticipate the grid to basically collapse. We have in our models and in our very scenario where price can reach the peak and there could be strain on congestion on the network, but we never really anticipated that 50% of the generation capacity would go offline for days at a time. And at a time where you had 30% increase in the demand, in the load by consumers. So yes, the extent of the crisis surprised us. And I think that they need to be some, take the time to reflect, analyze what has happened and put in place the right regulatory processes to be able to avoid that in the future. When we come back, 
we'll hear Tristan's thoughts on some of the solutions that have been put forth in Texas to prevent another crisis. And we'll get his thoughts on the challenges the U.S. solar industry supply chain is facing. We'll also have some fun quizzing Tristan on renewable energy project names. And you'll definitely want to stick around to hear Tristan's tip on where you can score some tasty French wine at a sweet price. We'll be right back. ADF Renewables' purpose is to build a net-zero energy future with electricity and innovative solutions and services to help save the planet and drive well-being and economic development. We're committed to providing future generations with the means to power their lives in the most economic, environmental, and socially responsible ways possible. We understand the importance of managing energy integration in a way that also enables clean energy projects to improve the electric grid. Our tailor-made solutions can solve energy challenges facing our customers, no matter the size or complexity. EDF Renewables. Energy your way. Okay, let's get back to Texas. Do you have any thoughts on some of the proposed fixes? I know just in the last couple of days, the Texas legislature has put forth a few things that, you know, specifically fees and additional costs assessed on wind and solar electricity production. Do you have any comment on that? Yes. First of all, I think it's important to take the time to think it through and analyze the lesson learned. There is no rush to make a decision right away. Today, I believe there is 300 bills that have been proposed, so I have not read all of them. I am a little bit concerned that this crisis could be an opportunity for people to try to favor a technology versus another. But honestly, this crisis is not a wind and solar issue. It's really an issue of the way the grid was built. And what was missing during the crisis is really the gas production. So it it doesn't make any sense to do any punitive action against wind and solar. I think that also it's important to think that if regulating capacity just by imposing very high pricing and very high penalties if you don't produce is not very productive. As we saw uh, during the Texas crisis, if the price of power would have been $100,000 a megawatt hour, it would not have allowed anybody else to produce. Everybody wanted to produce. So I think that at some point, the level of incentive when it becomes punitive is counterproductive. So right now, doing more of what was done before is not the right way to go. I think that it's important that There is a reflection on how do we reward capacity? How do we reward uh, no carbon energy? How do we reward energy itself? But it's a balance of different revenue mix that have to be reflected in the regulation. So here's kind of a a mythical question for you. If you could take a magic wand and kind of look at the situation in Texas or even, you know, last year in California, and you had the power to just kind of fix one thing or one solution or one technology that you think would make the grid more resilient, prevent future outages, what would that be? Transmission. I think transmission, interconnection and transmission around the country, strengthening the grid is a key critical success factor for the grid itself. And the transition to a carbon-free energy relies on developing much more uh, significant transmission network. So then looking back to the policy of kind of making what you just described happen, what can be done at the, the local, state or federal level to help smooth out some of the challenges renewable technologies are facing? Clearly, transmission permitting is something that the federal administration has to, uh, it's a nut that the federal administration has to crack. And I think they're very aware of that. It's a nut that has not been cracked for a very long time. I think it is possible. One easy way that will not be sufficient, but that would help a lot is using the existing corridors and doing double circuits or looking at the thermal management of the lines. There is a lot of things that can be done without 
a bigger footprint of the transmission lines. But at the end, it will require some, like the US have been able to build interstate highway system, it's necessary that the uh, transmission lines network is expanded significantly from what it is today. On another policy question, so there's a proposal, or at least a push to establish an energy storage tax credit. Do you think that's actually going to be a reality? And if so, how important do you think that'll be in spurring the growth of storage? I think it's likely, and I think it's desirable. It's desirable because uh, more storage will allow the technology to become even cheaper in, in the long run and will allow the integration of more intermittent resources. It's also allowed to install storage in locations that are not necessarily the best for solar, and it breaks a little bit that tie between solar and storage. So I think it gives more flexibility to deploy storage capacity in the right location. So I do think it is both uh, likely and highly desirable. Okay, and then you know, pivoting to another kind of policy you know, sticking point right now, there's a lot of news in the headlines about the supply chain as it applies to solar tariffs on bifacial panels coming out of China. And there's also a controversy about kind of the, the human rights angle of, of the supply chain. So you know, how concerned are you about you know, what I would call a two-pronged threat to the existing solar supply chain? It is concerning, in particular because the supply chain is so weak in the U.S. So I think it's important that, first of all, we are aboard uh, forced labor. There is no nothing that is uh, acceptable there. So we have to make everything we can to prevent buying any goods that has been manufactured with forced labor. Having said that, it's uh, difficult to track and it's difficult to, to track all the way to your sub of your sub of the sub of your sub, whether there is any forced labor in what you buy. So we are very diligent in doing that analysis. But also it's very important that the US, beyond the forced labor issue, it's very important that the US develop a supply chain on the solar side. And I think, the again, the administration is very aware of that. It is going to take time. It requires likely some incentives or special financing in place for manufacturing to see the light of, of there again in, in the U.S. at a large scale. So we would applaud that. We support that. And it's um, more beneficial when it's more balanced. And right now, it's uh, the, the, the balance of trade on the solar side is not balanced enough in favor of the U.S., and then now, earlier when we talked about Mexican food, you kind of tipped your hand and said you, you prefer the food in Mexico City. So that kind of leads perfectly to my next question. There's been some policy changes going on south of the border with regard to you know, prioritizing various sources of energy production. Do those concern you? I mean, I know your firm has a few projects down there. Yes, it is very concerning. We've been in Mexico for over 20 years now, and we have uh, four operating projects there and a number of, of projects under development. And it is true that the administration of Lopez Obrador has been adverse to private investment, in particular uh, in renewable. We hope that corner can be turned. And we, we believe that there is a lot to do with the CFE, with the uh, Commission Federal de Electricidad, to have some private-public partnerships. The country has a lot of energy needs. The country has a lot of energy resources. Wind and solar resources are great in Mexico. It's a country that's really destined to have a great renewable future. It will take both the private investment and the, the public support to be able to develop the um, renewable industry to the extent that it deserves. We just hope that the government is going to take a different stand as far as uh, private investment. I'd also like to pivot now to some other projects, you know, specific to what EDF Renewables is working on or already existing or has in the pipeline. So any update you can offer on Atlantic Shores? 
Yes, we are um, waiting for the uh, the result of the last RFP, a request for proposal by the, the BPU. And we are very excited and think we have an extremely high uh, chance of winning uh, an award and then moving to construction phase for our first megawatt in the water in 2027. It's a very high investment, uh, a lot of technology. We're very happy with our partnership with Shell and look forward to uh, being able to contribute to the offshore targets of New Jersey. Switching over to the West Coast, you know, considering all the proposals out of the Biden administration, how soon do you think we'll see wind farms off the coast of California, Oregon, or Washington? That's one where, I don't know, the sooner the better. It's a difficult development proposal to get uh, wind turbine in the water in California, but there is a big need to, California has a 100% target, as you know, and it will be difficult to fulfill that without offshore. So we're a big supporter. I am not sure how quickly the, uh, the new administration will be able to tackle that. We see an acceleration on the East Coast. There is a desire to do more on the West Coast as well. I think it's possible. But honestly, I will reserve my bets on that one. <laughs> so, hey, now we're going to have a little bit of fun. I want to bring you in on a quiz game that is you know, sweeping the world of renewables. It's called Renewable Project or Not a Renewable Project. And to be honest, we're stealing this from one of my favorite podcasts called I Like Beer, the podcast, which is actually uh, a handful of guys down right in your neck of the woods in San Diego. They have a podcast all about mm -hmm. beer and they go to all the breweries and things like that. And they have a bit in their show where we all know how some of the beers these days, the microbrewers come up with great, you know, funny names or all kinds of satire and things like that. And so one of their guys, he, he throws up four names of beers and the rest of the guys on the, on the show have to guess which one he made up, you know, which one's real and which ones are completely make-believe. So uh, we're going to steal that here and we're going to do the same thing, but we're going to do it with renewable projects because as you might know, uh, a lot of times renewable projects have these nice, you know, leafy and majestic imagery for the names. And sometimes it's it's pretty fun to... Look at how that comes across. And, you know, now I'm not making fun of the people who name those things. It's obviously a pretty important marketing thing to, you know, conjure up this great image when you're trying to get a project developed. But I think we can kind of ha have a little fun with that today. So I'm going to bring producer Tom back in. He has gone on to the great internet research fact-finding mission, and he's looked up some renewable project names. And so he's going to give us four projects, three of which are real, and one of which is not real. Now, I have no idea what ones he's done, so he's quizzing both of us. You know, I'm in the spotlight just like you are, Tristan. So, Tom, take it away. Well, thank you, Sean. And yes, three of these are real projects. One is not a real project. I can affirm that what Sean said is true. He has no knowledge of what I've done here. So, let's begin. The first project name Sidewinder Shine Solar Farm. The second project is Blue Sky Greenfield Wind Farm. The third project is Leaning Juniper Wind. And the last one, Desert Sunlight Solar Farm. So one more time, Sidewinder Shine Solar Farm, Blue Sky Greenfield Wind Farm, Leaning Juniper Wind Project, and Desert Sunlight Solar Farm. Okay, Tristan, do you want to go first and take a guess at which one is not a real renewable project? So I'm very bad with names, but I would say that the first one is the one that's a fake. Taking a leap of faith. And Sean? 
What was the name of the first one? Sidewinder Shine Solar Farm. What was the Juniper one? Leaning Juniper Wind Project. So Tristan, what you don't know is that Tom knows me and he knows that I like few things more on a hot day than a nice gin and tonic with some juniper flavors. So I think he's toying with me here. I'm going to say that that is not a real project. The Leaning Juniper. All right. Well, let's start with the two that you didn't choose. Desert Sunlight Solar Farm is in fact a project. And Blue Sky Green Field Wind Farm is in fact a project. Now, Sean, you picked Leaning Juniper, and yes, you might think I was playing with you, but I'm sorry, that is actually a real project. Oh, so, are you serious? So Tristan, <laughs> you win today. Sidewinder Shine Solar Farm is not a real project. Congratulations. Thank you, Tom. <laughs> I'm really proud. Oh, <laughs> uh, great. Yeah, now, so just to be honest, I kind of geek out sometimes uh, on various renewable energy projects. And so there's a few that your company has done that have caught my eye. And what usually interests me sometimes is not always the biggest, you know, the, the Bragawatt ones. Sometimes it's the smaller projects that are just unique or located in unusual places. So as someone who grew up going to the San Diego Zoo, the project you have down there certainly caught my attention. What can you tell me about the storage project you guys collaborated on with the San Diego Zoo, you know, right there in your backyard where you guys are headquartered? It's a great project. Needless to say, I spent a lot of time there when my kids were younger. And basically, it's, it's a stationary battery that uh, helps the zoo to minimize their demand charge. So it's pretty simple. A lot of the technology comes from the algorithm. So we work with our uh, sister company in Europe that has uh, some algorithm developed by EDF research and development team that are extremely good at piloting the battery itself so that we can avoid, anticipate and avoid those demand charges peaks. It's working very, really well. The payback is is pretty quick and uh, much quicker than on a very large project, about three times quicker. And it's uh, it's a project that's been functioning very well since its inception. And then you also mentioned earlier when we were talking about Mexican food that you enjoy a nice glass of red wine when you're cooking at home. And you know, spoiler alert, I enjoy red wine. And so that leads me to another one of the EDF Renewables projects that caught my eye, Domain Carneros. What can you tell me about that project in Northern California? Well, I will be biased and say that's the best American champagne there is. Is that all you want to know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know I'm not supposed to use the name champagne, but we're we're big champagne fans in my family. And I must say that this is my favorite that is grown in California. So uh, that's the most important thing. Now, the project itself is a microgrid where we combine carports, ground-mounted solar, and stationary battery to produce green energy for the domain and also uh, allow the domain to island itself from the grid if there is a grid outage and that allows the domain to continue to produce even if there is no electricity coming from the grid. So we see a lot of demand for this type of product in California in particular with the wildfire preventive outages that cut some of the uh, electricity supply to uh, various businesses that are in in the uh, the Sierras or, or in the valleys. And that's a growing market. And I think it's a great answer that can be provided to the customers in that part of the U.S. So let me just follow up real quick there. So this concept of islanding for businesses, whether it's a winery or just another remote business, that's kind of located on the outskirts of towns in California and, and areas that are kind of stricken by wildfires. Is that a trend that you're seeing? You know, more customers come to EDF Renewables asking for information on how to build that out? Definitely. There, there is definitely a cost to it that is kind of a fixed cost to put the electronics 
and the controls to be able to island the system. But there is also a tremendous value to avoid, you know, uh, being paralyzed during, literally, no pun intended, during an outage. So uh, yes, definitely it's a trend that is growing. Okay, now I just got to ask you a wine question. So, you know, as a Frenchman living in California, where do your allegiances lie on who makes better wine? It's a matter of taste, <laughs> and California wine are excellent. I would not rank one country over, over the other one. I would say two things. My favorite for me is still Chateau Neuf du Pape. That's really my favorite wine on earth. And I also think that uh, the tip is that you get great French wine at great value at Costco. That will be my tip. I know it's not very fancy, but they have a great wine selection usually. And usually it's better value than the American wine. So same quality, I would say. But I think the American wines are a little bit overpriced. Gotcha. That's a great two cents. Costco for my French wine. Okay. I got to hit that up next time. Well, thank you, Tristan. This has been a fun conversation. It's been great hearing some insights from you about what's coming next for the renewable energy industry. And I also truly appreciate the tip on uh, getting some good wine at Costco. (laughs) Thank you very much. Thank you, Sean. It was my pleasure. Look forward to doing it again. So that's our show for today. Once again, we'd like to thank our exclusive sponsor, EDF Renewables. If you like this podcast, please share it with your friends and colleagues. And be sure to follow us on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter, where our handle is at RenewablesPod. And if you'd like a daily dose of renewable news delivered to your inbox, head to SmartBrief.com and sign up for the Renewable Energy Smart Brief. The Renewable Energy Smart Pod is a production of SmartBrief a future company.